Good morning, Lake Murray. Merry Christmas to you and your family. I hope that you had a wonderful uh, Christmas holiday yesterday and are excited uh, to have the opportunity to open God's word with us this morning. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, would you open it with me to Luke chapter two? Luke chapter two is where we're going to be this morning. Uh, when my wife, Allison, and I first got married, we had very different tastes in television shows. Uh, she liked kind of light, funny sitcoms. I liked really dark gritty thrillers. And so we had to find a place to compromise. And so we compromised on uh, home improvement reality shows. Uh, And so maybe you've watched several of these as well. Uh, One of the channels that we watched a lot of when we first got married was the channel TLC. And it had uh, Love It or List It and House Hunters and all of these different kind of DIY or uh, 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 home project, home renovation shows. Uh, And so we watched these. It was something that we compromised on, both enjoyed. But I remember watching this, uh, these shows there would always be advertisements for other shows that TLC had on. And one of those shows was a reality show called A Baby Story. And the premise kind of behind A Baby Story was that you had a camera crew that followed this married couple uh, through the last few uh, weeks of their pregnancy, through the delivery of their child, and then the first few weeks of a newborn life. Uh, And really all of these episodes were kind of uniform in a lot of different ways. Like they all kind of had the same beats. They were all 22 minutes long and they were all, uh, you know, started out with the couple being really nervous and then being really scared and then being really anxious and then being really joyful and then being really tired. Like you could just kind of see all of the beats that in some way, all of these stories were very uniform. But each one of these was also very unique in the sense that every one of these families was different and every one of these babies born was born uniquely in the image of God. And at Christmas, we really do celebrate perhaps the most unique baby story in history. In a lot of ways, it is the birth of Jesus is the most unique birth story in all of history. But in some ways, we actually see striking similarities to every birth story or every baby story. Now, uh, as opposed to what the Christmas carol would have us believe, it was definitely not a silent night, right? If you've ever experienced childbirth, you know that Mary struggled and was in pain, that Joseph was probably very anxious and nervous, that Jesus cried when he was born and probably cried as a baby. And so we see in some sense, a lot of similarities with the birth story of Jesus to every birth story. But then there are unique elements about the birth story of Jesus, but maybe not perhaps for the reasons that we often emphasize. Usually we emphasize the place of Jesus's birth as what makes it unique. Uh, We see that he's born in a stable uh, or or more than likely a cave where animals were kept, uh, that he's laid in a manger, this glorified feeding trough. And we say what makes the birth of Jesus unique is that he was born in a stable, that he was laid in a manger. But in actuality, the place of Jesus's birth just speaks to the poverty of his parents. And in some sense, the birth of Jesus really kind of speaks to babies that are born in poverty every single day. Every single day, there are human beings made in the image of God who are born in places that are unfit for humans, but are the only place available to them. Even today, even right now, babies are born in the slums of Africa, in the jungles of South America, in the projects of some of our American cities, in places where you would just say, this is not a place that a baby should be born. And so we see that what makes the story of Jesus's birth unique is not the place that Jesus is born, but it's the purpose 
and the person and the plan of God enacted through his birth. You see, this is what makes the Christmas story unique. This is the reason that we gather some 2,000 years later to sing and to celebrate. You see, it's the birth of Jesus Christ that reveals God's purpose, person, and plan to save the world. That's what we see in the Christmas story. That's what we see in the birth of Jesus. We see God's plan, his person, and his purpose revealed to save the world. So let's look together. Luke chapter two, just briefly this morning. Luke chapter two, starting in verse one, a very familiar passage of scripture. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We see here at the beginning of Luke chapter two that Mary and Joseph have traveled from their hometown of Nazareth to Bethlehem. And they had done so in order to be registered for a census that had been ordered by Caesar Augustus, the ruler of the Roman empire. And we see what's unique about this. What's interesting about this is that this is not circumstantial. This is not coincidental. This is the the promise of God that he made long ago in the Old Testament being fulfilled in Mary and Joseph's journey to Bethlehem. You see, we read in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come from the line of David. This is what God promises to David in 2 Samuel chapter seven. And we see that Joseph is from the line of David and that the Messiah is prophesied to be born in the city of David, which is Bethlehem. Now we see this in Micah 5, 2. And so here we see through David's line and David's city, the things aligning for the prophecy of the Messiah to come to pass. You see, Joseph was from Bethlehem. He was a descendant of King David. And God uses Caesar Augustus to move Mary and Joseph some 70 miles from Nazareth, where Jesus would have been born, to Bethlehem. John Piper, in reflecting on this, says that God wields an empire to fulfill his word and bless his children. But God is on the move here. God is using this incredible work. God is is using this poor carpenter and his wife to fulfill thousand-year-old prophecy and promises that God has made to his people. But what is God doing in this? What's his purpose in the birth of Jesus in this way? Look at verse six. While they were there, while they were in Bethlehem, the time came for Mary, for her to give birth. Luke is both recording uh, the physical reality that Mary's pregnancy had been carried to term while also talking about the prophetic reality that the long awaited Messiah was ready to come in to the world. You see, after the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter three, sin enters into the world and sin fractures God's good design and purpose for his creation. But in his punishment of Adam and Eve for their sin, God gives them hope that he would one day send a redeemer who would be born of the seed of the woman, 
who would crush the serpent, who would bring God's creation back to its uh, rightful standing, rightful place. And we today feel the effects of this brokenness and sin continually. We see it reflected in suffering and illness and violence and grief, corruption, and finally in death. And we see this reality reflected all throughout the scriptures, all throughout, especially the Old Testament. But even in the Old Testament, as we see all of the brokenness of sin reflected, as we see it reflected in the reality around us, God sends the message through his prophets that someone is coming who will deal with sin and brokenness and set the world to rights. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas, that God has done exactly this in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the prophets, the priests, the kings, they all pointed to his coming. They were not able to deal with this on their own. They were not able because of their sin to bring about the promise of God, much less to deal with the sins of the world. But in Christ, God has made a way for creation to be redeemed and restored. Galatians chapter four, Paul writes this. He says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, God sends his son into the world to redeem the world from the penalty of sin. That's his purpose. But God's person is equally as important. Look at what Luke says in verse seven. She gave birth to her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling cloths. You see, in most religions, you have a human being who reaches deified status. You have a human being who becomes a God, but you have the reverse in Christianity. In Christianity, you don't have an ascendancy to the divine. You have a condensation from the divine, a, con- a condensation from the divine to the human. We see that as Jesus condescends to us, he is the king of heaven, the eternal word of God, the ruler of all creation, the one by whom, for whom, and through whom all things were created. And yet John records in John 1:14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see this here in the incarnation, God in the flesh, born as a baby, laid in a manger. And like you do with all babies, Mary swaddles him. She swaddles him in strips of cloth to comfort her newborn child. And in recording this seemingly innocuous act, Luke wants us to see that Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, co-equal with the father and the spirit comes to us as a baby, helpless, dependent, needy. The writer of Hebrews says that Jesus can sympathize with us in our weakness because he himself knows what it is to be weak, to be dependent, to be in need. He knows what it means to be human because he was fully human, but he was also fully God. And in being fully God and fully man, he was the only one able to redeem us from the penalty of our sin. Only one who was the God man could accomplish the work of redemption that God had planned from the beginning. And we see this finally reflected in God's plan. Mary laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. No one is probably more maligned in the traditional Christmas story than the innkeeper, right? The innkeeper who turns away Mary and Joseph, Mary, the mother of Jesus, 
But we actually don't have any real uh, uh, reference or any real uh, history that there was an innkeeper at all, that Mary and Joseph were turned away. We just see that Luke records that there was no place for them. There was no suitable place for them to have a child. Jesus is born in a stable or perhaps even in a cave, surrounded by animals, exposed to the elements. And his first resting place is a feeding trough that was used to feed these animals. Luke wants us to see the absurdity of this situation. Here is the creator of the universe coming to his creation and finding no place among them. Now we spoke a moment ago that this speaks in some way to the status of Jesus's parents. He was not born in a wealthy home. He was not born to powerful parents. He was born to a young carpenter and to his virgin wife. He was not born in the halls of power or of prestige, but he was born in humiliation among the animals and the elements. But in Jesus's impoverished beginning, we see what will be the pattern of the kingdom of God, that humility comes before glory that before the kingdom comes the cross. This is what Paul writes in Philippians chapter two. And he says, he, meaning Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so the path of Jesus The ministry of Jesus runs from the cradle to the cross. He was born to die and in his death provide for us a substitute, one who would bear the weight of our sin and our shame and would ultimately provide the way of salvation. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine, Paul writes, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. We've been blessed with an inheritance that will not perish or fade, kept in heaven for us through God's plan to send Jesus as our substitute who would die on the cross in our place and be raised to new life for our victory if we would simply believe and trust in him by faith. J.C. Ryle, the great Anglican bishop, once wrote that all through his life, Jesus was poor for our sakes, from the hour of his birth to the hour of his death, and through his poverty, we are made rich. And this is what we celebrate at Christmas. This is what we celebrate this time of the year, and not only this time of the year, but every day of every year, we ought to celebrate that the birth of Jesus Christ reveals the purpose person and plan of God to save the world. And we celebrate that. We just finished that celebration yesterday and the celebration continues on even into this week. And as Christians, we celebrate that Jesus Christ has come to save anyone who would cry out to him for salvation. No one is so good that they don't need Jesus and no one is so sinful that they can't receive him. This baby born in a manger crucified on a cross, raised in victory is God's perfect gift to the world. And how do we receive this gift? We receive this gift by faith, by admitting that we are sinners separated from God by our sin 
We feel the weight of our own sin, of the sin of the world reflected in the brokenness around us. We admit our sin. We confess that we need Jesus, that Jesus alone, the one who God has sent to be our substitute, that Jesus alone can save us. And then we commit our lives to following him as our Lord. And so if you've never put your faith and hope and trust in Jesus, today can be the day of salvation. This life that Jesus has come, God offers to you by faith in him. But if you are a Christian, would you be thankful today? Would your heart be filled with joy and gratitude and humility at the gift that God has offered to us in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? May we celebrate not only this season, but in every season that Jesus has come and that he will come again. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for this reminder from your word. Father, I just pray pray a blessing on each of the families, each of the individuals who are watching this this morning. Father, I pray that you would reveal to them by the power of your spirit that Jesus Christ is the son of God, the only way of salvation. Father, I pray that we would celebrate his coming and anticipate his second coming, both in this season and in every season. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.